Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Let's do this once again. Jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Topping our news today, corn harvest is just about wrapped up here for 2021 in Texas, and overall, it's been a really good year. We'll go up to the Northeast Panhandle. They're the last ones getting the corn crop out of the field. We'll check in to see how the corn crop looks up there as we wrap up this season. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. We had a fairly mild summer in the Texas Panhandle this year. And that appears to have been a blessing for the area peanut crop. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. A big spike in fertilizer prices is the latest hit to U.S. agriculture. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. Commercial fertilizers are the most costly input in warm-season grass forage production. We will discuss some important issues relative to fertilizer efficiency as well as alternatives. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The 2021 Texas corn harvest is just about wrapped up, with farmers in the northern panhandle getting the last of the crop out of the field. In the northeast panhandle, Tree County Extension Agent Scott Strawn says this was a good year for corn in his area. It's been good. The yields on corn, the reports on those have been really positive. And if you recall, we had some great May, June, and July moisture at critical time for that corn, and so it was able to take advantage of that. The temperatures were pretty mild. August was the month that was tough on us, but by then that corn crop was pretty well down the road, and so I'm hearing some really good reports on corn. And that's being reflected in excellent yield reports. A lot of producers hope for 250 bushels to the acre, and I'm hearing reports of that plus up to 280. Strawn says sorghum harvest results have been mixed this year. Some of this earlier planted sorghum is going to be really good, but then some of the later planted, it just ran out of moisture in August, so it's not as good as it could have been. But overall, it's still looking really positive, too. The cotton crop in the northeast panhandle got off to a rough start this year, but Strawn is expecting to have a better crop than last year. On the weather front, it looks like La Nina is back. It is official. La Nina is back. The National Weather Service issued a La Nina advisory recently, citing cooler-than-normal sea surface and water temperatures consistent with a La Nina in the central and eastern equatorial Pacific Ocean. La Nina typically brings warmer weather and drier-than-normal conditions to Texas, which can lead to drought. 
Wetter and colder than normal weather is forecast for the Pacific Northwest, while wetter and warmer weather is expected for the Midwest and the Ohio River Valley toward the Mid-Atlantic. The National Weather Service says there's an 87% chance that La Nina will continue through December or February of 2022. According to KXAN News in Austin, the last time we saw a La Nina was over the winter from 2020 to 2021. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service in Texas has funded five agreements through its Texas Partners for Conservation program. The agreements will help leverage NRCS resources, address local natural resource issues, encourage collaboration, and develop state and community-level conservation leadership. The agreements are with the South Texas Advancement Resource, Texas Small Farmers and Ranchers CBO, the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, and the Gillespie County Soil and Water Conservation District. We had a fairly mild summer in the Texas Panhandle this year, and that appears to have been a blessing for the peanut crop there. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. There's still more to be brought in from the fields, but so far things look good for peanuts produced in the Texas Panhandle. The executive director of Texas Peanut Producers, Shelley Nutt, says this season's yields are coming out average to above average. Things are grading out well, and we are moving along at a really good pace. You know, compared to other years, I think we're a little ahead on our harvest. And Nutt says being ahead is surprising because cool and wet conditions in the spring delayed the crop, which created expectations that the season would have to run a little longer. If you talked to me two months ago, I would have told you that we were a week behind, that we're just praying for a late freeze. We need a November 10th freeze because these guys need to get peanuts out of the ground and they're going to be a little immature. And all of a sudden, they weren't. They were ready. They were hull scraping and those peanuts were ready to come out. And we actually started digging a little earlier than normal. So what made the difference? Well, it could be because we didn't have all that many hundred degree days. Having talked to some farmers, Nutt says the thinking is the plants really benefited a lot from having a mild summer. It gave those peanut plants a chance to just really work. If peanut plants get too hot, then they shut down and they quit working completely. Nutt also says there was a bit of an acreage increase for peanuts in Texas this year to help compensate for shortages related to COVID. And another acreage increase could be needed next year because consumer demand for peanuts is growing, both in the U.S. and in export markets. In our next report, we'll hear Shelly Nutt talk about the importance of the new peanut sheller at the Texas A&M AgriLife Foundation seed facility in Vernon. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A big spike in fertilizer prices is the latest hit to Texas farmers and ranchers. Gary Joyner has more. Texas farmers feel the pinch when the cost of inputs go up. Any bump in price for energy, labor, water, equipment, and fertilizer, among others, erodes the bottom line. A big spike in fertilizer prices is the latest hit to U.S. agriculture. A gauge of North American fertilizer prices soared to a record high this month, driving up costs for farmers and threatening to worsen food inflation. The Green Markets North America Fertilizer Price Index rose 7.9% to $996.32 per short ton. That's well past the index's 2008 peak. It also set a new benchmark for the index that began nearly 20 years ago. 
According to reports, the fertilizer market has been hit hard this year due to extreme weather, plant shutdowns, sanctions, and rising energy costs in Europe and China. The energy squeeze in Europe and Asia has created a critical situation for the fertilizer industry. Companies have had to close facilities or reduce production as prices for natural gas have surged. Natural gas is the main feedstock for most nitrogen fertilizer. Those impacts are being felt in U.S. fields. The cost of production for U.S. corn farmers could be 16% higher. Not a good situation. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. And with the big spike in fertilizer prices, it's important to be very efficient with fertilizer use and to possibly check out some alternatives. Texas A&M Forage Specialist Vanessa Olson has some tips from East Texas. Adequate soil fertility is one key to successful forage and livestock production in Texas. Soil testing is still the best management tool to monitor soil fertility levels. Routine soil tests can help identify nutrient deficiencies and inadequate soil pH. Applying fertilizer without having taken a soil test amounts to guessing how much fertilizer is needed. Applying too much fertilizer is a waste of money. Applying too little will result in less than optimum forage production. Several fertilizer sources are commercially available to supply nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrients to forage crops. Ammonium nitrate, ammonium sulfate, and urea are the major nitrogen sources used on pastures in Texas. Organic sources such as biosolids and animal manures also represent important sources of nitrogen that can be used in pastures. When choosing the right fertilizer source, it is important to consider important factors such as price, fertilizer effectiveness, method, and rate of application. Fertilizer should be applied when the forage is actively growing. For most warm season grasses commonly used in Texas, the growing season does not start until our nighttime temperatures reach 60 degrees Fahrenheit. For establishment of new plantings, fertilizer should not be applied until plants have emerged. Nitrogen and potassium should be split applied into multiple applications after emergence and 30 to 50 days later. For hay fields, nitrogen and potassium should be applied after each harvest. The utilization of cool season annual clovers can contribute about 75 to 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre for the subsequent grass crop. The majority of the legume nitrogen is transferred to the soil by unused plant material and or animal excreta. Grazing animals can return more than 80% of the consumed nutrients to the soil through the feces and urine. If the legume crop is harvested and removed from the pasture's hay, the contribution of legume nitrogen to the subsequent crop is reduced. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from Overton for Texas Ag Today. A congressional committee has passed a bill for chronic wasting disease funding. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And if you're taking horses off of your property, it's important to follow biosecurity guidelines. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. 
Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you take horses off of your property, it's important to follow biosecurity guidelines to prevent the spread of disease. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Exposing your horses to other horses increases the risk of certain diseases like equine herpes virus, equine influenza, and strangles. There are multiple vaccines for influenza, but vaccination does not always prevent disease, but does at least usually decrease severity of clinical signs. There's also a vaccine for equine herpes virus, and although usually effective in preventing the respiratory and abortion forms, it does not prevent the more serious neurological form. There are also vaccines to prevent strangles in your horse, and although routinely recommended, they are not 100% protective. So disease control depends a lot on biosecurity, and Dr. Chris White indicates in the horse publication that traveling and showing horses are also stressed which lowers their immunity and makes them more susceptible to disease. And the larger the show, the greater chance of disease transmission, as horses may be attending from all over the country. So it is important to make sure your horse is currently vaccinated by your veterinarian and ideally only attend shows that require vaccinations of all horses. Prevent your horses from having direct contact with other horses as much as possible and don't share equipment like water buckets or brushes with other show attendees. Some even recommend giving probiotics to possibly boost your horse's immunity. When returning home, always isolate your show horses from the rest of your herd for three weeks and monitor their temperatures to make sure they remain normal before adding them back into your herd. Having a separate barn for your show horses would be a good idea during show season. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A congressional committee has passed a bill to increase chronic wasting disease funding. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. The fatal neurological deer disease that has spread to 25 U.S. states is getting some congressional attention. The U.S. House Committee on Agriculture recently passed a bipartisan bill to research and manage the spread of chronic wasting disease. The bill was introduced by Congressman G.T. Thompson and Ron Kind. Thompson told the committee the bill will support state and tribal efforts to implement management strategies as well as fund research into methods to better detect and prevent CWD. CWD has been a big problem for the deer population of Pennsylvania for quite some time. But the problem doesn't stop in my home state. The disease has spread to at least 25 states across the country. Unfortunately, because there is no known cure for CWD and we still know very little about the disease, how the disease is transmitted, that number is sure to rise. And through continuous conversations with industry stakeholders and both the farmed and the wild deer communities, we have been able to identify priority areas for much needed research and on the ground management efforts to attempt to combat continued spread. I'm hopeful with the passage of this bill and the eventual support of our friends on the Appropriations Committee, this disease will receive the attention and financial resources warranted. Thompson said it is imperative that we better understand the genetic implications of the disease so lawmakers can develop policies best suited to solve the problem. The bill before you authorizes up to $70 million in appropriations each year, with the money split evenly to support both CWD research and on-the-ground management efforts at the state and tribal level. 
The bill now awaits consideration on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, it was a lower trade all week long in the cattle markets. Friday was no exception, but the volatility continued in the cotton market. We'll take a look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a mostly negative week for the cattle complex. We saw mostly lower closes all week long in both live and feeder cattle. No exception on Friday with October live cattle down 87 cents, 124.10. December down $1.22 at 128.32. February live cattle down $1.27 to close the week at 133.50. Even bigger losses in the feeder market. The nearby October was down 82 cents at 155.42. November feeders dropped 217, 156.90. January feeder cattle down 267 to close the week at 157.32. Cash fed cattle trade last week, mostly steady. Most of our cattle selling at 124 on a live basis. Up north, they sold cattle at 196 dressed. Boxed beef was higher on Friday. Choice up 98 cents, 281.64. Select up 67 at 263.39. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Our report today comes from the Colotch capital of Texas, Caldwell, Texas. Carl Herman, how did your Wednesday sale turn out, young man? Had a good sale yesterday, Larry. Uh, uh, over 900 hits for 126 consigners on a steady to higher calf market and a steady cow market uh, for 45 buyers. We had over 100 cows and bulls, slaughter, slaughter cows 30 to 67, slaughter bulls 65 to 87, stocker cows 550 to 1,000, and pairs 750 to 1,150. Uh, on the calves, on the steers, two to three weight steers brought 150 to 177. Three to four weights, 150 to 187. With five weights, 146 to 185. Five to six weight steers brought 140 to 165. Six to seven weights, 126 to 149. And seven to eight weight steers, 125 to 135. On the heifer side, two to three weights, 130 to 145. The three to four weight heifers brought 125 to 165. Four to five weights, 126 to 169. Five to six weight heifers, 125 to 160. Six to seven weights, 124 to 149. And the seven to eight weight heifers, 105 to 125. Overall, we had a good day. Uh, had a lot of good cattle yesterday. Uh, had a few strains of some really good cattle. Good. And uh, know quite a few coming next week, so we look for another good sale. Good deal. Carl, tell everybody how to contact you. Okay. Uh, my number is 979-820-5349. Call the barn, 567-4119. If you're in the Giddings and surrounding area, call Max Ebner at 540-8676. Always good to visit with you, Carl. I feel the same way, Larry. Thank Y'all be so careful. Much. Bye-bye. 
Yes, sir. Neighbor looks to me like that's it for this edition of Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'll see you back tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs closed mixed on Friday. December hogs up 12 cents, 73.32. February down 5, 76.62. Class 3 milk was lower. October down 3 cents, 17.87 a hundredweight. November milk down 33 at 19.58 a hundred. Well, the whipsaw action continued in the cotton market on Friday. We ended up closing sharply higher on the Friday trade. However, off of the week's highs, we actually moved December above $1.10 earlier in the week, only to lose ground on Thursday and make up a lot of that on Friday. December cotton up 212 points, ending the week at 108.26. March cotton up 204 points at 106.19. Looking ahead to next year's crop, December 22 cotton was up 20 points, it closed the week at 89.27. The corn market having a positive day Friday. December corn up five and three quarters, 538 a bushel. March corn up five and a quarter at 546 and three quarters. Big movement to the upside in the wheat market on Friday. The entire wheat complex moving higher. Minneapolis spring wheat broke above $10 for the first time in nine years. And, of course, that helped out on our Kansas City and Chicago wheat as well. Tight supplies and solid demand helping to boost Kansas City wheat futures to new contract highs. We close with the nearby December Kansas City contract up 26 and a quarter, 774 a bushel. New crop July up 14 and a half at 762. July Chicago wheat up nine and three quarters, closing the week at 756 and a half. In the energy markets, November natural gas up 15 cents, 527. December crude oil up $1.32, 8382 a barrel. The financial markets narrowly mixed Friday. The Dow up 57 points, 35,660. The Nasdaq down 137, 15,077. The S&P was down 7 points, 4,542. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.